Uh, this uh, season as our lead pastor, Andrew Burchett, is on sabbatical, and he has um, asked different, um, different people to speak. And this morning, we are going to have the pleasure of hearing from Janet Henman. Come on up, Janet. Um, Janet has been a part of our church family for many, many years. Um, she serves on our board, uh, volunteer in children's ministry, and you were a leader in women's ministry for, for many, many years, as well as being a personal mentor um, for me through the years. So, Father, we just, um, we thank you for Janet, and we thank you for the message that you have on her heart, and that um, you will bless her message this morning in Jesus' name. Okay. Here comes my table, buddy. Okay. It is such a privilege and honor to be able to come this morning and to just share with my church family uh, my journey with Jesus. And I kind of want to just share with you how uh, this kind of came about. I was doing a Bible study this last year with a group of amazing ladies here at Neighborhood Church at Tammy Smith's house. And it was the book of Acts. And we were studying the life of just the start of the church. And, this last, and it started in September, and we didn't end till May. So it was a year long. And so um, this last part of the study was on Paul the Apostle Paul, and um, we looked at his life and his conversion on the road to Damascus, and then all his missionary trips, and he had a lot of missionary trips. And so um, there was a verse that particularly spoke to my heart as we were studying uh, the Apostle Paul, and it was in Acts 20:24, 20, and it says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And that's why I'm here today, is to testify to you my journey with Jesus and to testify of his good grace in my life and how he changed my name and he took my messes and he made them his message. Now, when Saul was on that road to Damascus, his life was pretty messy, and he had made some wrong choices. But when he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, his life was changed, and his name was changed to Paul. And his goal at that point became to make Jesus known to all the Jews and to all the Gentiles, and to share the message of God's salvation to all the nations. And he became one of our greatest church leaders. So um, I was going to share with you at this point a song from Matthew West, and it's called Hello, My Name Is. But because of the live uh, stream restrictions, we weren't able to play this music video for you. And I promise you, you would not want me to sing it. So I just thank God for this worship team that we have been blessed with. And because their voices are like the voices of the angels, I swear. So uh, I'm going to read some stanzas of this song because they really represent how names affect us. So it starts off. Hello, my name is Regret. I'm pretty sure we have met. 
Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget. Hello, my name is Defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll drag you right back down again till you've lost all you believe. Oh, these are the voices. Oh, these are the lies. And I have believed them for the very last time. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I've been saved, I've been changed, and I've been set free. Amazing Grace is the song I sing. I am no longer defined by the wreckage behind. Uh, the one who makes all things new has proven it's true. Just take a look at my life. What love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I've been saved, I've been changed, and I've been set free. Amazing Grace is the song I sing. If you have a chance to download that song on iTunes, it is a powerful song to, uh, to sing, and, and it testifies about how names affect us. And so many times, you know, you ask yourself, what's my name? And our identity becomes what others call us. And those names become something that we define ourselves with. And these names can become stumbling blocks in our lives. And it keeps us from knowing who we are in Christ. And I know that I struggled with these lies for many, many years. And there's an expression, I don't know, many of you might be uh, too young to know this, but it used to go, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Boy, that's a lie, isn't it? Because our bones will heal, but the names that we are called can have lasting and emotional damage for many, many years. And so the process of healing from the names that we are called is like peeling an onion. It has to be done layer by layer and in God's timing. So as I start, I'm going to share my journey with you. And I don't know how many of you have ever had an opportunity to come up here and, and speak. And they told me, oh, you know, you can just wander all over the stage, do whatever you want. And I said, well, you know, this table and me have become really buddies, and we are connected. So I'm going to save the camera crew from having to follow me all over the stage, or for you to have to follow me, you can just look right here, and I can see you. And so Buddy and I are going to stay here and talk to you today. So my journey. My journey with Jesus, I call this first part of my journey the messy years, because my life was pretty messy. I was born and raised in Dunsmuir, a small little town in Northern California, and I grew up in a non-Christian home. And my father was, worked on the uh, railroad, and my mom was a school bus driver. And we didn't go to church. We were an unchurched family. Um, and my dad was what you would call, I would call a functioning alcoholic. He had a job, and he provided for us financially, but emotionally, he was never there for me. I don't ever remember my dad telling me he loved me. And when he was drinking, I 
pretty much just kind of tried to stay out of his way. It was pretty scary. He, it was more of a scary time for me. And so as I approached my teen years, I just wanted to be loved and accepted. And uh, when I was in high school, I started dating my boyfriend, and I thought I was in love. I thought I had found the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with, and life was just going to be really good. And because of this, I made some wrong choices. And when I was a senior in high school, I found myself pregnant at 17. And so I just thought, okay, well, we'll just get married and, you know, live happily ever after. And when we went to tell his parents, uh, they said, you absolutely are not going to get married and we think you should just give this baby up for adoption. And that was not what I wanted to do. I was in love and I just thought this love story could just continue. Um, and so I made a decision that day and I chose to keep my baby and become a single mom at 17. Now the name you call, they called you in those days was not a single mom, you were an unwed mother. And with that name came a lot of guilt and shame. And so after I graduated, I had a baby boy and as my girlfriends went off to college, I had to start looking for a job to support myself and my baby. And so I was blessed to be able to uh, get a job with a telephone company. This is when they had telephone operators and you had to call the telephone operator and, and when you were calling long distance. And so I was that little telephone operator. But I was just blessed to have this job. Now my relationship with my boyfriend was like an emotional roller coaster for me. We were on, we were off, and things, my love story was not turning out the way that I thought it was gonna be. And so about a year later, I had an opportunity to, uh, for a promotion with my job, and it would mean I would be moving to Chico, and I would be working in the district office as a clerk. And this was at a time when my boyfriend and I were broken up, and I, so I thought, okay, this is the perfect opportunity for me to start all over and start fresh, just me and my baby, and go to a new town where nobody knew me. And so we moved to Chico. But just because the place was new, I still carried all that baggage and all the old lies that I believed and the guilt and shame from being the unwed mother. And because of that, I continued to look for love and acceptance, and I made more wrong choices, and I found myself pregnant again. But this time, abortion was legal, and I did not want to disappoint my parents again, and the thought of raising another child by myself just scared me to death. And so I made a decision without talking with anyone, without receiving any kind of counsel, and basically, my decision was based on fear and what others would think of me. And I had an abortion. Thinking that I had solved an immediate crisis and that no one would ever have to know, I just stuffed all my feelings and all my emotions about that abortion. And this was just my way of self-protection. And I just pretended it didn't happen. Life was just going to go on. But now my name became regret. And this became my secret sin. 
Now, I met my husband at the telephone company where we worked together at uh, the same office, and we dated for several years, and he knew I was a package deal that I came with my son and myself, and he still wanted to marry me. And so after we got married, he adopted my son, and I thought, finally, this was the love that I had been looking for for so long. And we've been married for 48 years now, and so God did provide that dream husband that I always wanted. And so one of the things um, about my husband after we got married, now my husband comes from a family of 15 kids. 15! So part of the deal was, okay, honey, I love you, but I am not following your mother's footsteps. So, so one, of, uh, one of my sister-in-laws at this time, uh, one of the older sisters in, in their family, um, said that she wanted, you know, she just kind of kept coming alongside us, and she was a Christian, and she said she was praying for me and my husband to find God in our relationship and in our family. And my husband had grown up in the church, but it was mostly about rules and not a relationship with God. And so after he graduated from high school, he stopped going to church too. And so I, it just wasn't God's timing, and I just thought, okay, I received all that she said to me, but I kind of just tucked it away. And then about a year later, after we were married, um, I got pregnant, and we were so excited to be adding to our family. And, but I started having problems with my pregnancy, and I thought I was going to have a miscarriage. And this caused me to cry out to God, and I begged him, please, God, don't take this baby. Don't punish me for what I did. And I wanted this baby so badly. And that was the first time that I allowed myself to feel the pain of my abortion. But God heard that cry for help. And I had a healthy baby boy. And this was the beginning of God softening my heart and calling me to himself. So now God, I, I worked at the telephone company, I told you, and I was surrounded by Christian friends. And in 1979, I had a, a girlfriend encourage me to come to the Christmas service here at Neighborhood Church. Now, this was when they were doing the big productions here, and there was live animals, and they were portraying the birth of Jesus with all the actors and stuff. And so I bundled my little family up, and we all came to church that Christmas Eve. And I was here watching the Christmas story be told and how Jesus was born to solve the problem of sin and that Father God, his Father God loved us so much that he let his son die on the cross for my sins. I knew then that that was the kind of the Father's love that I wanted in my life. And that night I asked Jesus Christ into my life to be my Lord and Savior. And I was 32 years old at that time. But this was the beginning of God changing my life and changing my name. My husband uh, also rededicated his life to the Lord. And so we started coming together here as a, church, as a family to this church. And we've been attending here ever since for 41 years. 
So God answered that prayer. He answered my sister-in-law's prayer. And I am so thankful to her that she never gave up on us because we were a tough couple here. And, uh, but she never gave up praying for us. And so I encourage you, if you're praying for one of your loved ones to find the Lord in their life, don't give up. Just keep praying because it's all about God's timing. Okay, you need a drink? So now I was a Christian. And what I needed to learn, I needed to learn a lot about accepting this gift of forgiveness that God had given me. And so this was the beginning of peeling that layer of the onion. Now on the screen, you'll see the verse from um, 1 John 1.9. It says, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I knew that in my head, but I didn't really believe it in my heart. So even though I was a Christian now, I was still in bondage to the guilt and the shame and all the lies that I had believed. And I kept feeling unworthy of God's forgiveness because of my secret sin. So what I had to learn about forgiveness was that it was not based on feelings. I had to believe by faith and receive that gift that God was offering me. And so he spoke to my heart with these three truths from his word. The first one is from Isaiah 1.18. And it says, come now, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And what I had to learn here was that there are no levels of sin with God. In his eyes, sin is sin. Whether I am gossiping about my neighbor or I had an abortion, in his eyes, sin is sin, and we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And I had to learn that there is no sin so horrendous that God cannot forgive, not even my abortion. And then Isaiah 43, 25 says, I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Well, I was the one not letting go of that sin. And God said, when we confess our sins, he wipes our slate clean. And I had a really hard time wrapping my head around that. It's just, he just forgets it. And so a friend of mine shared this visual with me, which really helped me claim this verse. And she said, there, uh, God has given us the sea of forgetfulness. And I am to take all of my sins and I am to throw them into that sea of forgetfulness. And then the most important thing is, don't, you have to put up this sign that says, no fishing allowed. And so I cannot take them back. And then the last verse that God shared with me was Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I had to receive and believe these truths. I didn't have to keep punishing myself with self-condemnation. I had to see myself as God saw me, his dearly beloved chosen daughter. And condemnation did not have to be a part of my identity. His truth was that he loved me with all my imperfections, with all my faults. He just wanted a relationship with me. And he wanted me to release those sins to him at the foot of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
Old things have passed, and new things have come. This was my chance for a new beginning, and I no longer had to be in bondage to my past sins or my past regrets. I was no longer, as the song said, defined by the wreckage left behind. My name of unworthy had now become forgiven and accepted. So the next part of my journey is learning how to receive his love. Now, the only love I knew was conditional. It was something that I had to work at. I needed to learn about what my Father God's love looked like. So I started attending a Bible study here at a neighborhood church called Open Heart Ministry. And it was Open Heart Bible Study. And it's interesting that the name was Open Heart because I had a heart issue. And I needed my heart to be open to receive God's love and my Father's love and what His love looked like. And so um, the first class I took was how to be a godly wife and mother. I wanted to love my family like God loved me, not how I had grown up. And so God showed me what the Father's love looked like in this verse in 1 Corinthians, which is probably familiar to many of you. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, and it does not boast, and it's not proud. Love is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth, and it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Wow. That was not the kind of love that I knew, but it was the kind of love that I wanted. And so as I continued to read my Bible and learn more about my Father God, another important thing that I learned was that nothing can separate me from His love. Now, I always thought I had to do something to earn His love, and it was more performance-based. I just had to just let Him love me. And so the truth he revealed to me from his word here was in Romans 8, 38 and 39. And it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the past nor the present or the future, nor any powers, any heights or depth, nothing, none, there is nothing that in all creation that can separate me from his love. And I had written in my Bible, not even an abortion. His perfect love would cast out any fear of rejection or feeling unloved. And I had to wrap my head around that kind of love. I didn't have to earn it. It was God's grace. I had to learn about what His amazing grace is. And grace is getting something that we don't deserve. And I had to know and learn that His love was unfailing, it's everlasting, it's unconditional. And I had never experienced that kind of love before. I just had to receive it. And when I did, my name was then changed from unloved to his beloved. And I came to find out that later on, uh, when I was doing, uh, uh, looking up names, what the spiritual meanings of names were, my birth name, Janet, the spiritual meaning of it is his beloved. And I thought, wow, God, you have had your hand on me from the very beginning. And I didn't even know it. And so, as I started believing these truths about his forgiveness and his love, not just in my head, but in my heart, this is when he gave me my life verse. 
And a life verse is just a special verse in the Bible that has special meaning to you. And so mine is John 8:32, that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so as God continued revealing all these truths to me so that I could receive his love, there was another, and because of those truths, there was another thing that I needed to do. And I needed to ask God to help me forgive my earthly father for not being the kind of dad that I needed or wanted and for not loving me the way that, uh, that I needed to be loved. And so as part of that healing and learning about forgiveness and love, I had to just release all that pain and hurt from my dad uh, at the foot of the cross. And Jesus just healed that, healed that hurt for me. And so what I had thought in my life were stumbling blocks. Little did I know that God was going to use these stumbling blocks in my life for his good and his glory. And he was going to take all my messes and he was going to make them his message. And so I thought, okay, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to use me to be your message? So it all started in 1986 when a lady came to our church to share about a vision that uh, God had given her about ministering to single moms. She wanted to uh, come alongside them and encourage them and support them and basically well, share Jesus with them, most importantly, but to also teach them skills and different things that they could do, but just so that they didn't feel alone. And... I thought, okay, God, I was a single mom for seven years. I know how that feels, and, and I know the support and encouragement you need that I never did receive. And so I thought, okay, this is how you're going to start using me. And so I started volunteering at, it was called the People That Care Center. But God was preparing an even bigger story for me as I started volunteering there. Um, at this center, my job was to meet with clients who would come in either with an unplanned pregnancy or as a single mom and just share the love of Jesus with them and to encourage them and support them. And to just, if they did have an unplanned pregnancy, just share what the uh, choices were available to them. So I had a client that came in and she uh, was pregnant, but she wanted to keep her baby, but she did not have any parent support. Her parents had kind of just disowned her. And so we just really connected. And I started walking with her through her pregnancy. And we did parenting classes together. And uh, she would come out to our house and, and just spend time with our family. And I was there at the birth of her baby girl. And uh, afterwards, I just kind of took on that role of grandmother and continued to be her friend and would take, we would take the, the baby, uh, was a little girl, her name was Amanda, and we would take her for weeks at a time and just to give uh, her birth mom a, a break. So I knew that you needed that when you're a single mom. And so um, this just went on for a while and then she met uh, a man that she thought she was in love with. Amanda's birth mom did. And uh, so he wanted her to move away from Chico and to move to another city with him. And uh, so she moved. And shortly after, 
she called me and she said, um, you know, Janet, would you come and, and get Amanda for a few weeks? I just really need to try to sort out this relationship with this man uh, that I'm living with. Uh, I really love him and I want this relationship to work. But what she found out was that he really didn't like kids. And he really didn't want this child in their relationship. And so I came and got Amanda and uh, Sherry called us. And then she wanted to know if my husband and I would adopt Amanda. And I was kind of shocked. I thought, wow, this is really a big decision. Have you really thought this through? And she said that uh, she knew how much we loved her. And she knew that um, this would that we would be better parents for uh, Amanda at this time than she could be. And so um, I told her, I said, well, this has to be a family decision. And so I was going to talk with my family. And I have to be honest with you now. For a slight moment, I thought, God, you are so funny. You've blessed us with two boys and a girl. My youngest daughter is nine. I'm 41. And you want me to start with diapers all over again? Okay, okay, God, I know you have a plan. I know you have a plan, and I love this baby. And so, of course, it was a unanimous yes for my family that we wanted to adopt Amanda. And so we adopted her when she was two. Now, Amanda's birth mom, many years later, finally left this man, and she uh, moved out of state, and she got remarried. Now, we had always been very honest and open with Amanda about her adoption and her birth mom, and if she ever wanted to meet her, that we would make that happen. Well, when she was about in sixth grade, she just had this desire that she wanted to meet her birth mom. And so we made arrangements, and I had been keeping in touch with, with her birth mom this whole time. And, and so uh, Amanda and her birth mom uh, connected, and... It was an awesome experience for both of them and a healing experience for both of them. And uh, they now have a great relationship and she meets with her about once a year. And really, the three of us have a good relationship. Amanda now has two moms that she has been blessed with. But if God hadn't brought me to that pregnancy center and hadn't used one of my messes to bring Amanda into my life, we wouldn't have been blessed with our fourth child. And so for me, that was just an example of how God uses all things, whether they're planned or not. I wasn't planning on having another child, but God knew the plan that he had for, for our family. And um, so he had used that opportunity for his good and his glory. But God wasn't finished with me yet. Um, in 1990, while I was still volunteering at the uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center, hang on, they were introducing this new Bible study at, the, uh, at Crisis Pregnancy Centers, and it was called Forgiven and Set Free, and it was for post-abortive women. Now, this Bible study was used to help women deal with not only the physical, but the spiritual and emotional issues uh, that can affect a woman after an abortion. And for many women, an abortion can be a type of post-traumatic stress disorder, and they were calling this post-abortion syndrome. I'm going to flash here on the, the 
screen with for you what it is. Post-abortion syndrome is when a woman is unable to process all the emotions involved and surrounding her abortion. And some of the most common symptoms are guilt, shame, anger, regret, sadness. But there was over like 33 different symptoms that could cause a woman uh, distress. And so, and also alcohol and drug abuse and even suicide. It's when she was unable to grieve the loss of her baby and she's unable to come to peace with God, herself, and others involved in the abortion decision. Now, up to this point, I had never, and I had been traveling in Christian circles for about 10 years now, I had never told anybody about my abortion. As a post-abortive woman, you can look fine on the outside, but inside, I struggled with that secret sin. And I believe that one of the biggest lies told to women today is that abortion will solve all your problems, but it doesn't. It can affect you either physically, spiritually, or emotionally. And just because abortion was legal and it's socially acceptable, there's still a real stigma attached to abortion. And I know for me, it was fear. Fear of rejection and fear of being judged. And so that's why most post-abortive women never really talk about their abortion. They just want to forget it, and it stays that secret sin. But I knew for me that there are no secrets from God, and that it was time for me to give these parts of my abortion that God needed to heal. And um, I needed to peel that layer of the onion and uh, just let God heal that. And so I decided to take this Bible study. And the book that we used is called Forgiven and Set Free. It's shown up here. It was written by Linda Cochran, who was an RN, and it was uh, developed out of her experiences of her abortion and what, uh, how she was freed from the bondage of guilt and grief from her abortion. Now, she delves into the scriptures um, with this Bible study, and the chapters are relief, denial, anger, forgiveness, depression, letting go, and finally acceptance. And she states, for every woman yearning for the peace of God's forgiveness, that this study is the first step to being healing, to be healed and whole. And I wanted to take that step. I wanted that for myself. And so one of the first chapters that we cover in this book is the character of God because we needed to know who he was. Is he someone I can trust? Is he approachable? Can he heal my hurts and the pain from my abortion? And so the names of God that I related to, the name of God that I related to the most and that I wanted to, need, wanted to know more about was Yahweh Rofi, God our healer. And uh, Anne Spangler wrote the book, Praying the Names of God. And she uh, defines Yahweh Rofi. It's a Hebrew word, and it means to heal, restore, or make whole. And this verb uh, um, occurs 67 times in the Old Testament. And she says, though, it often refers to physical healing, 
it usually has a larger meaning as well, involving the entire person. Rather than merely healing the body, Yahweh Rofi heals the mind and the soul as well. Yahweh Rofi redeems and restores you. And that's what I needed. And that's what I wanted. And so as I took this Bible study, there were two areas that I really needed to deal with emotionally and spiritually. And the first was forgiving myself. Now, I knew that God had forgiven my sins and even the sin of my abortion. But I hadn't forgiven myself. And I kind of kept that sin in here in a little box and kind of called it my unforgivable sin. Because with this sin comes a lot of guilt and shame. And I remember thinking, I had to keep asking God over and over again, please forgive me, please forgive me. And God heard me. This was just another lie that I was believing. And at this time, my name was Defeat. Just like the song says, just when you think you can win, I'll drag you right back down again until you've lost all that you believe. I felt like I didn't deserve forgiveness because it was a choice I made. And that choice had clouded my understanding of God's amazing grace. And I had believed those lies in my head for so long that they had sunk into my heart. But as I allowed God to start peeling that onion and peeling those layers of guilt and shame off during this Bible study, I realized that by not forgiving myself, what I was saying was that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. And that is such a lie. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sin. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking to me. And in that moment, and at his death, Christ paid the price for every sin, no matter how great, even my abortion. I didn't have to atone for my sins or feel guilty for the rest of my life because that's what the cross is all about. It is finished, and he's talking to me. He's talking to you. John 8:36 says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And as I believed that promise and started believing that promise, I could finally forgive myself. And there was a quote about forgiveness and healing that was shared with me, and it really stuck with me. And it's on the screen here, and it says, We don't heal to forgive. We forgive to heal. I had to forgive myself first in order for God to heal me. And that's when my name was changed from defeat to overcomer. So the next area of my abortion that I needed to deal with was to allow myself to grieve the loss of my baby. Many post-abortive women attempt to bury that grief by by either just turning off all your emotions, like I did, or denying that it was a baby. But I felt 
at that time that I didn't have the right to grieve the loss of my baby because it was a choice I made. But that's another lie because it was still my baby and I'm still his mother. And so I had to allow myself to grieve, to grieve that loss. And as part of our healing through this Bible study, we have a memorial service for our babies and we name our children. And this really helped me bring my grief into focus, but it also allowed me an opportunity and an, an opportunity and an honor and a time to honor and recognize the personhood of my child. And I named my baby Caleb. And at that memorial service, as I released him into the arms of Jesus, there was such a powerful feeling of emotional healing and peace that I had needed for so long. And I have learned to grieve this loss with hope because I know that one day I will be reunited with Caleb and I will get to spend eternity in heaven with him. And for over 25 years now, God has allowed me to walk with post-abortive women and to share his message of love, forgiveness, and his healing. And he has taken my messes and he has made them his message. And his message is, and it's up on the screen here, that he is faithful. He's faithful to forgive us whatever our sins are. And then to heal us with his promises and the truth of his word. Yahweh Rofi redeems us and restores us. And he will give you a new name. I believe as post-abortive women are healed and we tell our stories that we are going to become the voice for the voiceless. And what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to reverse and use for his good and his glory. Because our stories, my story, it's not about what I did. It's about what my Father God has done in me and what he will do in us. And because of that, I no longer dwell on the memories of my abortion or try to hide them because I know that there is nothing that can separate me from my Father's love and that my self-worth comes from knowing who I am in Christ. He has given me a new name, a child of the one true King, and I've been saved, I've been changed, and I've been set free. And if you're here today, or listening on the live stream, and you've had an abortion in your past, I pray that you will run to God, not run from Him, that you would seek His healing touch. And you need to know that you do not have to walk this journey alone. Yahweh Rofi, He's our healer, and He wants to come alongside you and help you find uh, hope and healing. And if you need more information about this post-abortion Bible study or want to inquire uh, about doing this, um, you can contact me or my co-partner Denise Dreit at Women's Resource Clinic. It is our local crisis pregnancy center and it's located on 2nd and Esplanade by Dr. Mellon's office. And we would be 
honored and privileged to walk with you through your journey of post-abortion healing. And you need to also know that post-abortion healing isn't just for women, it's for men too. There are post-abortive men that can suffer the same symptoms that we do as women. And God wants to heal your hearts too. And I just want to ask you something. I'd like to ask you to pray about, uh, well, I want you to pray for the crisis pregnancy centers and their staff across all the nations right now. Because of everything that happened Friday with the decision of Roe v. Wade being reversed, I just pray that as Christians, that we will respond to this with kindness and with compassion and just loving one another as we transition through uh, this decision. And so I'd like our prayer team to come up now, and they're going to join us. Um, and if you have any prayer need here today, or if you have any past regret that you need to lay at the foot of the cross today, these brothers and sisters would just love to pray with you. So if the prayer team could just come up. And as we close, I want to just share this final quote with you as they are coming. It says, although you can't go back and start over, you can start now, and you can make a brand new ending, and you can have a brand new name. And that's what God wants for all of us. So thank you for letting me share my journey with you today. And I just would like to close this in prayer. Oh, Father God, thank you that you are a God of love and that you have called each of us by name. I just pray your blessings over each of my brothers and sisters here in the house and online. And I pray that we will continue to open our hearts to receive all that you have for us, Father. You are Yahweh Rofi, our healer. And your plans for us are for good and to give us a future and a hope. And I just pray that we would leave our past regrets at the foot of the cross today and that we would pick up our new names as children of the one true king. And may the truths of your word help us to remember always what a loving, compassionate, and forgiving father God that you are. And that no matter what the messes are in our life, you can take them, Lord, and make them your beautiful message. And we just thank you in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. God gets the glory. Thank you for joining us today. And don't forget that next week we meet on the island and that there will be that 10 o'clock service uh, online. Have a blessed day. And thank you. <laughs>